Welcome to Eye of the Swarm, your deep dive into anything and anything Yellow Jacket Athletics. Episode 1 of season number 4, if you can believe that already. Alongside the big sound, Matt Johnson, I am John Garber. And a very special welcome to our new production engineer, our head coach, if you will, yep. Adam Demuth, who uh, takes over the throne from Elliot Sweary, who finally decided he wanted to graduate from college <laughs> and walked across the stage in May. And, you know, he uh, he was with us for every single episode of The Swarm, except for, I think, two, yeah. where I actually sat in the captain's chair and and did the production myself. But he, uh, it was uh, going back to commencement because I, I have the privilege of reading all the names before they, they walk across the stage. And Elliot got up there and it was like, oh my gosh, this is real. Yeah. Elliot's graduating. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's and I a, broke I broke protocol too because I'm I'm supposed to just sit there and read names and he's the first one that I after st- I actually stepped out from behind the mic and had to give him a hug because I'm so proud of that kid for getting that degree. Oh my gosh! I, if people only knew how much he did behind the scenes, not just with the podcast, but with you know the direction of us, the production you know of of our broadcasts over the years. I mean, he did. We've had some really really good production engineers over the years. Um, you know, you and I, you know, we we talk about it. Not real often, but every so often we talk about who we've had. That, mm-hmm. But as far as like head of, of the department in terms of being able to get us on KUWS and then with this podcast, Elliot was as good as it gets. Yep. Um, and he sacrificed more time and more energy into making sure that we sounded as good as possible and got us on the air um, or recorded us in this case um, as smoothly as possible. And uh, I, you know, can be more happy for him and also more appreciative of the efforts that he gave because man I mean he he made us sound pretty good at times when when sometimes circumstances weren't exactly ideal I'll just say that right so congratulations to him yep, and absolutely. I think for the listeners out there though you're not going to have a drop off in what is going on here because <clears throat> no no the, not the, at all the person that we just introduced with Adam stepping into that role you're not going to have a drop off there. Adam's been with us for a couple of yeah, years. He has. He's been our, our engineer for sports broadcasts numerous times. I I mean, I flew with him when the hockey team won the conference championship a couple of years ago. And I love that I can drop Grateful Dead references and we can talk about the music of Rush and all of that. And, you know, he, he just steps right in without missing a beat. And I think that's going to be the, the case here as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, he worked side by side with Elliot at times last year and um, actually the last couple of years. So it's not like we're turning it over to a complete rookie. I mean, this is Adam's been with us for a few years. He knows what's going on. And I have to kind of laugh because first two broadcasts that I did this year, this is, you know, I'm, we're going to do our third broadcast of the year tonight, this being recorded on a Wednesday. Um, but, you know, he, he was nervous about it going in. I could tell. He kind of told me he was nervous, but it went off without a hitch. So, you know, hopefully he takes some uh, – some uh, solace from that because I told him even on the air, I was like, we had no problems at all. You know, just relax. You're, you're up to the task here. And I think he's, he's kind of from, from being around Elliot, I think he's, he's seen enough of the kind of the turmoil that can happen that he's a little bit nervous, but I will say this, Adam, you're doing really good. Uh, it was perfectly fine. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's already getting embarrassed by what we're saying about him. So I, I'll, and nobody I'll stop can see there. him anyways. So yeah, exactly. It, so okay. it doesn't really matter. You know, in a way but, I look uh, at it, I've got a good month yet before we start hockey broadcasts. So by the time I get to you, we're going to be good to go. It's going to be smooth as silk. <laughs> that's smooth what, that's as what silk I'm for. And not smooth as chunky peanut butter. Let's put it that way. That's what I'm here for. I'm here for to work out the kinks and then like, <laughs> turn it over to you for hockey. That's that's what our fall broadcast schedule is all about. So we talked about commencement. That was on, uh, I believe, May 15th was the date. And uh, then summer happened and then summer was over. Right. And yeah. I don't know how it was for you, man, but for me, 
I, I know people say it goes the older you get, the faster it goes, but holy cow, this one was fast. Yeah, this one went really by pretty quickly. Um, you know, from a broadcast standpoint, I have Duluth FC. I think people who follow me know that for the most part. Um, we had a very, very successful year for Duluth FC this year. One of our most successful, arguably our most successful ever. Not necessarily on the field. The team was good again this year. Made the national tournament again. But just from a broadcast standpoint, I had the chance to work with our men's uh, soccer coach, Joe Mooney, who has been my color commentator now with Duluth FC for, I want to say, maybe three years, four years, somewhere in there. Um, We had just a really good year. And what was neat was is that a lot of those, in fact, most of our staff, in terms of of communication and and, um, um, graphics and – and the, and the tenor of our broadcasts and everything else, all those guys just about are UW Superior students and are working with the athletic department now. So it's it really is exciting, um, especially considering the work that they did during the summer. I mean, it was tip-top quality. I don't know if you saw any of it, but uh, a lot of stuff they did was really, really groundbreaking, very, very like almost state-of-the-art kind of uh, athletic communication stuff. And it's, it's exciting because I knew that they were going to be bringing that over to UWS as well once the fall started. And because those guys all made that transition over. So, yeah, we stole basically the whole team. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, Duluth FC's uh, communications department is basically athletic communications department. It's basically the same as it is for you. Like, it's the same guys doing the same job, uh, just doing it a little bit differently, you know, depend, you know for obvious reasons. Um, there's some subtleties and some differences there. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it just. Seeing what they came up with during the summer made it really enjoyable, and I was I'm really excited to see what what uh, they can come up with uh, this year for UWS as well. A few of those gentlemen playing for Duluth FC, current members of the Yellow Jacket men's soccer team. So that's a dynamite segue <laughs> into the week that was for yeah. Yellow Jacket sports. Let's dive into it. Men's soccer is now two and two, uh, and started out the year actually really well. I think uh, considering the competition, kind of a rugged played, schedule, really rugged schedule. I mean, both soccer teams are playing a rugged schedule. We'll talk more about the women in a minute. Uh, but both teams are playing rugged schedules. The men are 2-2, two and two, have a couple of nice non-conference wins in there. Went against Bethel, which is a team they lost to last year. Went against Concordia, which is a team they lost to. So that one, I'm going to talk about last year. On the road, too. Yeah, so, on the I mean, road. That's, a, yeah, that was that's nice not road. an easy road trip. No, not at all. Uh, went 1-1 one one last week. Uh, defeated uh, Concordia Moorhead 4-1 on Saturday in Eau Claire. Or, excuse me, in, we'll get to Eau Claire in a minute. Uh, in Moorhead. And then uh, lost, unfortunately, to UW-Eau Claire 3-1. That game was played last night, Tuesday night. This is a Wednesday morning that we're recording this. Um, but uh, not bad. That Eau Claire team is really good. They've wasted no time in building a really strong program. Yeah, they're 6-0 now. Uh, that team has also beaten a couple teams it pretty handily. Two years? Three years old? Two years. Yeah, it's second two, year. Second year. Yeah. So, second I mean, year. this is uh, – they wasted no time in yeah, building a powerhouse. not at all. Against the, the Cobbers, uh, UWS actually fell behind one nothing, but then scored four goals straight to win it 4-1. to one. Blake Perry had two of them. Philip Erickson had two. Those are the two uh, leading returning scorers, from no, so no surprise there. Uh, Blake Perry already has four goals on the season. So off to a good start. Nation's leading point scorer a year ago at Division Three, And uh, Philip Erickson, I think, had 12 goals last year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Somewhere in there, I think. So they're both off to a good start. 12 goals and five backflips, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I know he's a little bit hesitant sometimes to do the backflip because there's a chance that he could land wrong or do something. But, uh, yeah, he had uh, two of the four goals. Actually, they both had two goals each in that game. And I had a chance to watch it. They scored uh, three goals in a minute. And let me – do the quick math here, like a minute and 28 seconds. I, saying, I thought it was about a minute 20. Yeah, a minute 28, actually. They scored at uh, 58, 35, 59, 52, and 60.03. So, grand total of 11 seconds in between the second or the third and fourth goals for the Yellow Jackets in that game against Concordia. 
it was it was a pretty dominating performance. They played really well in that game um, and created a lot of chances. Were able to bury four of them, and they're going to score a lot of goals. We mm-hmm. already know that. Led the nation in scoring last year. In fact, led the nation in six different offensive categories last year, and uh, they're off and running this year as far as scoring goals against uh, Eau Claire. Unfortunately, they scored first. Erickson again. He scored at uh, 12 away, but then the Blue Golds came back and scored the last three goals. Mackie Ringrose, by the way, special shout-out to him. He's got probably six or seven assists already this year. I have to go back and look, but it seems like every goal they're scoring, he's getting the assists. So right. he's uh, the sophomore from England. He's doing a really good job in, in the uh, midfield. Meanwhile, Alex Paredes got the start in both those games and uh, got the uh, five saves in the win against um, Cody Moorhead and made six saves last night against UW-Eau Claire. Meanwhile, uh, Blake Perry, by the way, and Alex Brady's also named UMAC Defensive and Offensive Players of the Week. So, uh, yeah, uh, the beat goes on for men's soccer two and two. Uh, they've got a couple. Uh, they've got, I think, just actually two games coming up this week. We'll talk more about that in the last segment. But yeah, they're off to a good start. Uh, women's soccer, meanwhile, oh two and two on the season. Uh, fell to Edgewood College four to nothing on Sunday in Madison. It's the first time this year I really looked at the team and said they didn't compete very well. Um, and that happens sometimes. Uh, I think that Edgewood team is really good though. And and I think that they're probably kind of under the radar a little bit. I think what people looked at was they came here last year, yeah, and we handled them, yeah, pretty well, pretty well. We I mean, handled them in that match, and I think people thought this was just going to be a repeat of yeah. it. I think that was a little misleading, yeah, because they were a better team last year than what we saw the day they were here, yeah, yeah just I like mean, I think we're a better team than what they saw down there. Yeah, they're uh, four and one now. Their one loss was to UW Platteville, and that's a game that they outshot the Pioneers by more than three to one margin. Yeah. They somehow lost three to one despite out shooting Platteville sixteen to five for the game. So that Edgewood team is the real deal. Yeah, uh, you know they've they're 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 tough. Um, and I thought that was kind of an eye opener for the ladies down there to lose that game for nothing. But they've got a couple of nice draws against UW Stout and Hamlin uh, to start uh, one goal loss against Augsburg. So I mean, you talk about rough schedules, John. We talked yep. about that with the men. Uh, the women also scheduled ambitiously. And uh, you know, though, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad, and I, yeah. you know, because for years and years and years, these early before we jumped into conference play, they, you were you were playing, and no offense to any other schools here, but you're you're playing Lakeland, you're playing Finlandia, yeah, fill in your your blank there, and I'll right, get yeah. trolled for doing that, and I apologize, but you right. know, she got that taste of the NCAA tournament now knows that we have to beef up that schedule in the non-conference play right. a little bit yep. to prepare us for that down the road. So tip of the cap, even though it's not resulting in W's right now, tip of the cap because I think it's the right thing. Yeah, and that I mean, they have already had a couple of better results against Stout. You know, you could say Augsburg, they lost, I think, in double overtime to the Augies last year. So mm-hmm. they've had competitive games with them. Uh, didn't see Hamlin last year, uh, but that Hamlin team is pretty solid. Uh, but they create chances in those games uh, to score goals and get a win, possibly, especially against right. Stout. I mean, yep. They were really good in the first half oh, against Stout. They could have had a 4 nothing lead if it wasn't for Stout's goalkeeper. She was fantastic. <laughs> to uh, to borrow a, ho- a hockey term, they were buzzing in that first half. Yes. Uh, they created uh, a lot of chances in that game for them. And, uh, you know, this, once they get in the conference, they're going to be more than ready to yep. go in the conference. No so. doubt. Uh, one last note, though, on women's soccer, uh, even though they lost that game against Edgewood College 4 to nothing on Sunday in Madison. Quinn Clark was named UMAC Defensive Player of the Week. After shutting out UW Stout in that aforementioned game, uh, that was her first start ever for the Yellow Jackets. She transferred in from Gustavus Adolphus last year, where she played, I think, a semester before she came over. So, uh, congratulations to her on that one. Volleyball two and six overall. They dropped three out of four matches at the Stinger Classic, hosted by the Yellow Jackets at the Mertz's. Sponsored by Subway. Sponsored by Subway. <laughs> Did I forget the drop? We got to get that in there. Yeah, sponsored by Subway. I'm making sure Subway hears that. Um, UW split on Friday. Oh, he will. He listens. <laughs> he does. Very cool. Well, 
There you are, Subway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Defeating Northland 3-1 uh, to one in their first match, 25-14, 22-25, 25-19, and 25-20 before losing their last three matches. Uh, got swept by Nebraska Wesleyan in their second match on Friday, three sets to nothing. Then on Saturday, also fell to McAllister, three sets to two in a match that went back and forth before getting swept by St. Scholastica in three straight. Um, so, yeah, that's the second straight week in the Yellow Jackets have lost three out of four matches and kind of a tough one. It, it- it was tough, but yeah. you know the that Nebraska is a good squad. Yeah, Nebraska, Nebraska Wesleyan's a good squad. And some of those uh, sets were pretty tight. They were, and the uh, the McAllister match, five sets. Yeah. You know, flip a coin that could go either way. Right. Yeah. And I think after going five in that one and having to come back and play Saint Scholastic, I think we were just a little out of gas. Yeah, and even two of the sets against Glasgow were pretty competitive. Yep. Uh, you know, well, actually, all three of them really. I mean, twenty twenty five. 27 29 and 22 25 those are not blowout sets so right. you know you're right there and against wesleyan it was 22 25 26 28 and 24 26 so yeah, you're so talking you're, about some yeah, very clip cool of the sets. coin basically yeah yeah exactly so, so. they they did pretty well hanging with a, a couple clubs that are pretty good yeah yeah so they hung in there i mean it's it's still a young team there's a lot of time lot left of in the there. season but uh yeah, so they're uh, two and six on the season with hopefully better things to come. Men's and women's golf had a big busy week, Whew, especially the women. Yes, yes, we'll talk about that here quickly. The men, however, are back uh, seemingly to where they've been the last few years. Uh, they won both of their uh, appearances this past week. Uh, they won the UMAC preview and also defeated Crown in a duel uh, this past week. The uh, UMAC preview w- took place on Thursday, uh, September eighth, and uh, on Monday, uh, September twelfth, was the Crown duel. Uh, while the women placed fifth at the UMAC preview, 11th at the Giorgiani Blue Gold Invitational, and then uh, lost a crown in that same duel last week. So five combined <laughs> matches slash duels for the two golf teams over the last week. So it's been busy, to say the least. At the UMAC preview, the men finished with a team score of 310, finished 12 shots ahead of second place Northwestern. UWS was led by Cody Stanish, who finished tied for second with a 75, while Nate Burke fired a 76 to finish in a tie for fourth. Taylor Berger, Charles Martin, and Ian Bundy also finished in the top 10 for UWS, so good balance across the lineup for mm-hmm. head coach Paul Eberhardt. Against Crown, the Yellow Jackets set a program record by shooting a four-over par 292 and picking up the win. Burke and Stanch led the way for the Yellow Jackets, each shooting even par 72s on the day. So, again, more depth. Uh, for He's head- got a lot of depth on the men's side. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It and looks like I, I think because he, he was talking about the uh, UMAC preview, if he would have put his, his B team together – they would have finished in the top five as well. Well, because they sent a B team to the duel against yeah, Crown. Yeah, with how well you know, they shot, yeah. they probably would have finished in the in the top five as well yeah. of the UMAC preview. So good numbers. There, there's some good depth on that men's side. They're going to be yeah. awfully difficult to beat in the UMAC championships in a few yeah. weeks. Yeah, because they're going to be very consistent throughout mm-hmm. the lineup. Meanwhile, the women finished with a score of 423 at the UMAC preview and were paced by Delaney. I want to say this coacher is that how you say your name? Mm-hmm. Okay, coacher and Bryce Burris, who finished tied for 18th place. With a score of 102 at the Giorgiani Blue Gold Invitational, UWS finished with a team score of 795 and were led by Bryce Burris, who shot a 94 on day one, and then a 90 on day two. That was a two-day event. Finished with a 184 for the tournament. And against Crown, UWS on the women's side finished with a team score of 422 and were again led by Burris, who placed fourth in the individual standings with a score of 98. Very young team. Yes, very young. He's got a lot of freshmen and sophomores on that team. And like any team that's that young, they're going to have some growing pains. But I think he's he's excited – Talking with Eb a little bit, he's excited about the the potential of that group. Yeah. So I think as the year goes on, unfortunately, it's like a six week sprint. Oh yes, but as the year goes on, they're going to continue to get better. Right, right, absolutely. I, I tend to agree with you, and we've seen it in the past mm-hmm. for sure. So we're hoping to see a similar trend this year. 
And last but not least, men's and women's cross country. The men placed second at the Bulldog Open, while women placed third in that same event. That uh, was the Bulldog Open hosted by UMD at the Lester Park Golf Course, right by where I live. <laughs> in fact, I could walk to there from where I live. So I'm kind of bummed out I didn't go over there. And yeah, you should have. I should well, have no, you probably shouldn't have because it was pouring rain That's right, during yeah. that race. <laughs> right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, not the greatest conditions. No. Anyway, the men finished with a total of 56 points. UMD ended up winning it with 16 points. Michael Butterfield led the way for the Yellow Jackets, finishing seventh individually with a time of 15.50.7, while the women finished with a team score of 71 and were led by Gina Scanlon, who completed the course in 21.58.4. Both Butterfield and Scanlon were named UMAC Cross Country Runners of the Week. So that was the week that was, um, and we're off and running, John. <laughs> Quite literally off yeah. and running. Yeah, exactly, especially on the cross-country side of things. So. Yes, so it's uh, busy times here, but wouldn't have it any other way. No, no, that's why we do it. So. We will take a timeout, and we come back on Eye of the Swarm. It'll be our roundtable segment, even though today it's only kind of a triangle. A as triangle, We'll be yeah. joined by Director of Athletics Nick Bursick, who uh, some really exciting things to talk about and uh, a little bit of a review of the state of the program and everything, and, you know, it's a good time to be Yellow Jackets. We're excited to have him in to talk about some really great things that are happening in the world of Yellow Jacket athletics. All that and more when I Have the Swarm continues right after this. Can I borrow the sports page? Are we sure we're ready for this expansion? Of course we're ready for it. It's a great idea. Let's celebrate with a vacation. I'm thinking <laughs> Hawaii. We're ready for you. Is it okay if my friend comes with? Of course. Imagination's always welcome here. Bring us your best ideas. Let's see how we can help. National Bank of Commerce. Imagination's welcome. back for our roundtable segment of Eye of the Swarm, and we are very pleased to be joined by the Honorable, I, I feel like I have to refer to him as the Honorable Director of Athletics, Nick Bursick, who also was our, our most frequent guest on the show, so <laughs> welcome wow. back to the chair. Hey, thanks guys, and uh, Honorable, that's a, quite an introduction, so. Well, he is our most frequent visitor, but that makes sense. I mean, he is the head of the department. So right. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think this is, uh, we've kicked off the podcast every year together. Yes, the first show of the year is always yeah. always the AD, and uh, happy to be back in studio this year after the COVID year having to do that show from my basement. So. Yeah, yeah that was a, I think that was the last one, wasn't it? Was that the, no, we did one, did we do one up here last year? What yeah, we did one with him okay, up here last say, year. Yeah. That was two years ago when we had him there. But regardless, uh, I know you're up against the clock here, boss, so we'll We'll jump right into it. Uh, recently, huge announcement on campus and in the community that uh, UW-Superior is finally getting that much-needed, that longed-for outdoor turf facility. Yeah, we are ecstatic uh, to get system support, state support, uh, and then the community support behind it to make the project a, a reality. But we're excited to be breaking ground uh, what will be this upcoming spring. Uh, in anticipation of building a new stadium, which will give home to our outdoor track and field teams, uh, our soccer teams as well, bring them back to campus uh, on a nice venue. Um, and it'll be great to have that uh, livelihood back on campus. 
I've told people before that this is my 13th year in this position, and I think I have covered men's and women's soccer at nine different facilities, some of them on campus, some of them off campus, some of them not even in the state of Wisconsin. That's <laughs> how the vagabond existence that our programs have been forced to lead because of the facility shortcomings that we had. And so this, I, I don't think it can be understated how big this is for those programs, but for the campus in general, because this is going to not just affect varsity athletics. This is good for intramurals and campus recreation. This is good for academic courses. This is good for the community and aesthetically for our campus. This is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the impact is going to be large, uh, not only to our department, for our teams and our student athletes, but uh, the greater community. Uh, and we are an institution that loves to be embedded with our community. So I look forward to days uh, next fall where we have youth on it. We have our teams competing on it. Uh, we have intramurals on it. We have academic courses uh, utilizing the stadium. Uh, really, the usage is going to be so high. We know that it's going to have tremendous impact. Take us through the steps on how we got here, because we've known for a very, very long time that we've needed to have a facility. The first question was, well, why don't you use Ole Hogsrud? Well, from a soccer standpoint, it's not wide enough. It's not a facility mm-hmm. conducive, plus with the crown. It's not conducive to playing soccer on. So take us through the steps of how the, the conversation finally got from conversation to action. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I would say when, when I talk to people who ask me that question, I think people are surprised the process that we have to go through to build or construct anything, uh, even renovate uh, spaces here on campus. But uh, it started in, I want to say, 2018. Um, We went through a full uh, athletics facility study um, and really assessed all of our current facilities, uh, assessed our opportunities, both short-term, long-term, and really identified what we need. Uh, And our outdoor facilities Uh, We're the immediate red flag, Um, and we hope this is a part of that plan. Uh, The plan included many assets uh, and many phases to it, but hopefully this is the start of more to come. Uh, But for the stadium itself, it it was identified as a major need. Um, Like you mentioned, our soccer teams have competed on, what, 9-10 fields uh, over the tenure, or my tenure here uh, especially, but uh, over the past decade. Uh, They've really been shuffled around uh, as we've tried to provide our student-athletes with a great experience. Uh, And same can be said for our track student-athletes. We really don't get an outdoor season uh, in which we can practice outdoors and, and compete and host We haven't had that luxury in a while uh, because of the state of our current outdoor track. So in 2018, we went through that study uh, and immediately we identified our needs. Uh, There are big needs, there are small needs, uh, but the stadium was one of our biggest. Um, And and that, again, has the impact uh, not only to athletics, but campus recreation, uh, intramurals, academics, uh, and the community too. So it it very quickly rose to being one of the first projects we wanted to lift off the ground uh, to to make a reality. So from there, we went through two, three years of uh, budget negotiations, advocacy, uh, deeply appreciative to our Chancellor, Chancellor Walker, and also our Provost, Provost Cuso. Uh, The two of them really spearheaded the advocacy and, and really Uh, made the case to UW System, to the state, uh, and all the entities that are part of that process to be included in the capital budget. Uh, That is no small task uh, to get funding uh, from the state for projects, uh, especially for non-academic type buildings and and infrastructure. But 
it's a cr- crucial crucial part to who we are as a campus, uh, our student enro- student athlete enrollment is significantly high too. So we knew we needed to do something, and, and that's why I think we were able to make a pretty compelling case. Uh, plus, when you add on the fact that we're the farthest north institution without turf facilities, uh, when some of our UW peers do have those, uh, it also helps add to that compelling case as well. So we were able to navigate the the process uh, with the state and successfully get funding. Again, that is no small feat. Um, it is a very tough landscape to go get funding uh, from the state for campus projects, uh, but also deeply appreciative, again, to the chancellor and her senior staff for prioritizing it, helping make it come to a reality. Um, as you guys know, you know everything costs more right now too, and, and our project is experiencing that as well. And uh, there are some deficits or some shortcomings that we're already projecting, and uh, we, we have a commitment to making sure we have the stadium in place, and it's a great venue for our, our students and our student athletes. So uh, with that, now we are in a phase where uh, we are working with our architect, we are working with our engineers to actually design. And that's the exciting part because now we truly see it's it's gone from conversation to it's a reality. Uh, I want to say two days ago we had a design meeting and we saw the initial specs. Uh, and that's really when it kind of hit me of, hey, this is actually happening and, and this is going to be a reality. On top of that, too, when we've gone through the process um, in, in identifying this project, we also knew we wanted it to be community-focused, that this wasn't just something that's going to help us help our campus community. This has the ability to impact our community and especially the youth and the opportunities that they have. Uh, so we very easily and quickly engaged with some of our community partners to identify uh, who would want to support us in this project, who can help us make it a reality, uh, and, and who can uh, really align with us with our vision of where we want to go as a campus. Uh, and Superior Choice has been an incredible partner, uh, and we're deeply appreciative of their commitment to helping make the project a reality, uh, but also their support to ensure the sustainability, the vitality of the project, uh, and the life of the stadium will be protected moving forward as well. So I know that was a spiel, but <laughs> that's a, a little bit uh, of a glimpse into the process. You know, like I said, it, it, it has taken longer than uh, we would have liked, but uh, all said, this is actually a very quick process. Um, there are a lot of projects, whether it's our campus or another UW campus, that can take 15 years to build the advocacy, to get the funding, to construct. Uh, and we're on a very quick timeline. And uh, we hope we're going to be out on a quick construction timeline as well, because I know our student athletes are eager to get on there. And Hopefully we can break ground this spring. Uh, That's the plan uh, for our student athletes to walk on campus in the fall uh, with a new venue to practice and compete on. I think anybody who saw the construction process at the high school when they built their facility is going to be excited about the timeline because that thing went up very quickly. That was pretty much the same timeline, Mm -hmm. broke ground in April, and they were playing on it in in September, kind of the same timeline that, that I think everybody here is hoping to follow. You mentioned Superior Choice. I do want to circle back to them, but one more piece of the process that I, I think that you didn't mention, when you're talking about advocacy, and I know that Dr. Walker and Dr. Cuzo were very instrumental in getting President Thompson up here to campus to kind of see the needs of the university in general, not just this, but having student athletes meet with President Thompson and mm-hmm. in, in essence plead their case, that was a, a very crucial part of this process, wasn't it? Uh, 
Yeah, I to be honest, that's probably what has made the most compelling argument for our case uh, and, and for our advocacy is when students start to say we need this or uh, we have concerns about our current arrangement, it, it helps, it, it and it really does. Uh, but that has been a process right from the start. You know, when we started our planning, the student voice uh, was a part of the, the process uh, right away in terms of what do our student athletes need, what do they want, um, and what do we need to project out in 10, 15 years of what uh, our student athletes will, will also want from their experience standpoint. So their voice has been a significant part, um, and we've found opportunities to uh, get them in front of state leaders, system leaders to make uh, that, that compelling case and, and, and state their, uh, their needs and, and their desires. Um, we've had tremendous SAC presidents. Um, I'm thinking back to the likes of Brittany Lane, Eva Reinertsen, Mathea Brink. You know, those aren't student athletes. Uh, Mathea is a track student athlete, but um, Eva and Brittany were um, basketball student athletes, but they saw the greater picture of, of supporting their fellow student athletes and um, their advocacy. And, and I know I'm missing a few of our officer, our SAC officers, but uh, that group really is the one that have helped advocate and spearhead um, and, and really provide that support. Um, and it's been tremendous, and it is a large part of why we got the funding we did and the, why uh, we've been able to prioritize and, and move at the pace we've been moving. Yeah, I mean, I, there's. I think there's for those who are not in the know, <clears throat> you know, those of us behind the scenes a little bit have known that the stadium's been coming for a long time. There's been kind of rumbling behind the scenes, but now that it's official, it really does kind of create, I think, in the community something that everyone can kind of get behind and get excited about. Um, because the buzz around the, when the high school got theirs, I think, was palpable. You know, I think everybody looked at it and said, wow, Superior High School really did this the right way. And I think that they're, as a community, they're looking – at this as with the same kind of anticipation and excitement. Um, I happen to know the student athletes are thrilled. Um, you know, they've, they've brought it up to me a couple different times already that they're really looking forward to it. They've been asking about timelines and stuff like that. And, you know, that's not so much of them, I think, being impatient as much as, you know, you know, they're psyched up. They're excited about the, the prospect of it. And for the program, it's just going to be a boon. You know, it's, it's, it's going to help them recruiting-wise. It's going to help them in terms of creating some campus atmosphere. Uh, the location is going to be a key, you know, as far as being on campus, right behind the dorms. I mean, the whole thing is, is just something that, the, that the, like you said, the entire community is going to be able to get behind. And it's so cool to be able to finally say um, that, you know, we're going to have our own stadium and we don't have to, you know, play kind of this musical chairs, you know, home field thing. Like you said, I mean – I, I, I'm glad you brought that up, John, because you and I have been together for most of that. And so <laughs> it's been like a tour of the Northland, trying to get games in at different mm -hmm. spots. You know, we've been with high school now for a couple of years. You know, I don't know how many years it is now, maybe four or five. I don't know. But anyway, um, it'll be just so nice and comforting to know that you can just, you know, we have a stadium that's ours. And we don't have to, you know, make any kind of treks anywhere. And just for the student athletes and their psyche alone. That'll be such a huge advantage for them, I think, competitively, because they know they can get on the field when they need to, um, and they'll be able to utilize it, you know, whenever whenever it, it's it's good for them instead of having to juggle schedules and, and try to figure out a time when they can get on a field. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's I'm super excited about it. I've been excited about it for months, um, but uh, I I think the campus community is really really going to get behind it. And I mean, quite frankly, let's be honest. I mean, whenever you get a new facility. At, at any level of athletics, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody goes crazy for it. 
And it doesn't matter what sport it is. If you get a brand new facility, everybody wants to come over and see it. <laughs> you know, and everybody wants to be a part of it. And wants to and wants to have a look and see if the shiny new, you know, new stadium or, or facility is going to look like. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm super pumped about it myself. Yeah, yeah, and this project will mark <clears throat> one of the largest investments we've made in several decades in our outdoor facilities. Um, and I I know there are other projects we have aspirations for and we want to achieve, but uh, it is a point of pride and it is a point of celebration for us to get this project underway because the impact is is going to be quite large uh, again it's going to be far-reaching it's not just student athletes and athletics it's going to help us from a competitive standpoint of course and uh, give our student athletes a venue to train on more consistently but uh, it also presents new opportunities for our community and that's where i think the community excitement comes into play uh, we've had a great partnership with the school district and kind of sharing their facility uh, but their usage is high. Our usage is high. Uh, we've had a lot of scheduling difficulties of recent just because, um, you know, they have more participants. We have more participants. There's only so much time during the day that you can get on. Uh, but I think even Amy and Ella, they recognize it at the district. They recognize this is a great opportunity for the community. And now with two really nice facilities, you know, the ability for us to generate some tourism through more youth tournaments, more youth opportunities, you know, that's the trickle-down effect of, of all of this. And that's where uh, I know the, the business community especially is, is excited about. It's, it's a further investment into our community, and it's going to be an asset that just keeps uh, driving things for us as well. So we're talking usage, and we've talked a little bit about we haven't really talked about the location of it aside from that it's going to be outside of the Markovich Wellness Center, part of which is going to take away parking. So how is the university going to restructure its parking model to accommodate this? Yeah, good question. Uh, really, I think as an institution, this project uh, hopefully will be a phase project in, in which uh, it's a catalyst for other things to also happen on campus. Uh, but you are right. The new stadium will be located next to the Markovich Wellness Center. Uh, it'll run in, in what is currently the backside of the two residence halls, uh, Kern McNeil and Ostrander. Uh, it'll take up that parking lot. It'll take up the green space that's there and then run uh, up until uh, a little bit into the land of what was Ole Hartsford Field. Uh, but that area will also be redeveloped too um, and, and the campus has aspirations of what that looks like and um, our chancellor has spoken about you know what those could look like from mixed-use spaces to additional rec spaces to uh, a variety of things uh, really could transform that corridor of campus but with that obviously parking is a big deal and uh, not only our student athletes need a space to park our spectators need a space to park Residents need a space to park, so uh, the parking lots will also get redefined as well. Uh, and we actually hope that we make it a little bit more of a user-friendly parking lot, too, for, for everyone. Uh, move the students a little bit closer uh, to the residence halls, but also provide a little bit more of an outlet to other campus buildings as well for overflow parking. So uh, it'll get redefined, but that entire corridor of campus really hopefully uh, also gets developed as well. And, and those are exciting opportunities. Um, you know, I try to look ahead of what the campus could look like in four or five years, uh, and it could look like look entirely different um, and all for the better uh, in, in those regards uh, in terms of what we could provide to our students and future Yellow Jackets in the future. I mean, with the, the changes they made at the entrance of Belknap and Catlin, 
to this. I mean, it, 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 it really is a new coat of paint for the, the campus house. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, uh, we hope that this project is a catalyst to other things also happening in, in other spaces, continuing to renovate and improve. We have a great student union. We have great uh, academic building, Swenson being you know the premier building that it is. The Wellness Center is a great facility. So we really hope that this is, again, the catalyst to keep adding to that portfolio of, of infrastructure uh, to support the student-athlete experience and the student experience as a whole. Spirit Choice Credit Union purchasing the naming rights for the new facility as well as a, a couple of other pieces at Westman Arena that we won't dive into today. But naming rights don't come cheap. And so this is a pretty significant commitment by a corporate partner into the the life and the future of the university. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I will say very early on in the process, um, we really looked at Spirit Choice of being a great community partner. Um, and we, we've worked with them as an institution in many capacities, but uh, with their leadership change and, and some of the things that they're doing from a community service standpoint, uh, we really just wanted to have a conversation with them to see if it was a fit. And uh, we were very thankful that it was a fit and this was an opportunity that they saw uh, had that investment in, in terms of what they could do and the impact that it could have, not only for the institution, but again, for the greater community. Uh, Tim and, and Bree and, and the staff at Spirit Choice have been just outstanding. Uh, anytime I'm out in the community and uh, I talk to people and, and our fans or spectators, um, they always bring up good community partners. And Spirit Choice is oftentimes right one or two, you know, first off, off the top of the head. Um, so they're a great community partner and their investment into the project will not only ensure the project is able to be a success day one, but also ensure the vitality of the project for future years to come with some of our capital maintenance expenses. And we want to make sure that, you know, we don't just build a field and then not, don't touch it and just assume it'll be okay. We want to make sure it maintains its its life and, and it can still be the asset we aspire to be day one in 20 years from now. Um, so, so really their gift, their contribution is going to help make that a reality. And you get the feeling too, just in the conversations with them, that this isn't just we're writing a check and, and we're good. They're going to continue to be involved and they're probably, they're, it feels like that their involvement is going to escalate over time. Yeah, we certainly hope so. Uh, again, it's a partnership. It, it really is. And, and they've already been an outstanding partner prior to uh, this contribution and this gift. But, you know, they've they've helped us do financial literacy for our student-athletes, um, which is a big thing. We, we talk about the holistic development of our student-athletes, preparing them for life after college. Uh, man, I wish I would have <laughs> had somebody talk to me about uh, financial literacy when I was in school just to help prepare uh, for things long term. But they've been a great partner. They do team meetings. They do individual meetings. They help our kids uh, with the education component with with those things. And, um, you know, th that's just the brink of what they're doing and, and what opportunities we have ahead. But it truly is that partner uh, partnership, and they're a great partner for us to work with. Let's jump now into sort of like a, a state of the union things. You know, I know you're tight on time here, but the 22-23 season has, has begun uh, in earnest over the last couple of weeks. But take a look back, if you would, at last year and sort of that finally that emergence from, from COVID. And as the year went on, it may not have seemed like it, but in the end, all of a sudden, there's 10 conference championship trophies that are going into the trophy case. 
And so arguably the most successful year across the athletic department in school history. Yeah, it certainly was a fun year for us last year. Um, a year filled with a lot of success, but a lot of building with that as well uh, in terms of the state of all of our programs. Um, certainly the 10 conference championships, I don't know if that's a school record in a year. I, I think it probably I'd is. I'd have the reason to believe it's, it's up there, but um, that is a conduit for us winning our first all-conference trophy, uh, the Cruz Award from the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. Uh, that, to me, really signifies the strength and uh, the status of where we are as a department, but also hopefully the signs to come and just the continued progression of seeing more of our teams take those steps competitively to compete and hopefully earn championships. You know, baseball is a, is a team that has also progressed. And, you know, they're, they're, I think they're going to have a really great year. TJ's doing an incredible job there. Uh, but, you know, they made the championship game last year in the tournament, and I think they take that next step this year, hopefully. Um, but, you know, they're one of many that I think are in that process of retooling, re rebuilding, uh, while staying highly competitive. Um, and and I, I, I think we're ahead, uh, or we're looking ahead to a, another fun year, and uh, our fall sports uh, have competitive schedules, uh, and that's what we want to pursue. We want to be ready for championship play, both within the conference, but hopefully aspirations of winning a tournament championship, getting into the NCAA tournament, which, whichever route we need, uh, to, to compete at that level too. So uh, it's great to see our teams right now competing um, and, and going against tough competition because that's what we want. We want it to be a process to lead, to build, to something greater. Um, and I think we're headed on the right track. Uh, but I, I really do think it's going to be an incredible year. we got a great group of coaches and staff that are really dedicated to the student-athlete experience. Um, it's easy for us to talk about winning. It's easy for us to talk about competing. But there's a lot that our coaches are doing uh, and our staff are doing to help support the student-athletes from a holistic standpoint. While we talked about 10 championships, I could easily talk about the academic success of our student-athletes because I think that might have been a record for us as well in terms of GPA, awards, uh, retention, graduation, through the roof in terms of the numbers, which speaks to their commitment beyond the classroom as well. But community service, I, I you know, we've been held back a little bit because of COVID, but the impact our student-athletes are making in the community is um, just astonishing to see, and I, I think those levels are going to continue to increase as well. But, you know, those are the things that really I take the most pride in, and I love to watch our teams compete, you know, and, and, and win championships and bring back trophies to make you and I figure out what trophy case we're going to put them <laughs> in because we're running out of space, which is a good problem to have. But, um, you know, seeing the success outside of the classroom, seeing our student-athletes develop as people and as human beings, as leaders, as yeah, um, community oriented and, and, and those attributes that's what we take most pride in you know you and I get the pleasure of working commencement every year and uh, man I remember sitting at commencement just being blown away by the number of student athletes walking across that stage and earning their degree and uh, getting a chance to talk to some of them and just hearing that they had a really great experience it's what it's all about we won championships along the way but they're walking away with a degree they're walking away with a skill set that's going to prepare them for life so I know that probably didn't give you the state of athletics, but um, it, it hopefully speaks to kind of where we're at and, and what we're about as a department um, and some of the focuses that we've had moving forward. Matt and I kind of live on the media side of things, and I don't think it's overstating. You and I have had this conversation 
in the office many times, but for the people listening, if, if they're paying attention to what we are doing on social media, we are starting to do some things that way too that you don't see a lot of Division three schools doing. In some cases, you don't even see Division two schools doing that. I know the answer, but the people listening may not. Where, where did it come from with you to go, we, this is one thing that we have to start pushing, not only in a different direction, but we, we, we need to keep raising that bar and pushing things just a little bit more every year. Yeah, great question. And, you know, that gets back to our prior conversation about our strength of our department. It's not just with our coaches and our student athletes. It's with the entire team that supports them, uh, from our sports medicine staff uh, to your staff from a marketing standpoint and everyone academically and, and whatnot. We have such a great group of people that are dedicated to our student athletes that make those things a possibility, but also make those things a strength. So from a marketing marketing standpoint, um, yourself, Tyler, uh, Holden, we've had some great interns uh, with us as well, Christine, Nicole in prior years. Um, we've always had a great staff, got a great group of student leaders too that really helped drive some of our creative. Uh, but like like you mentioned, we're, we try to do things. We don't try to label ourselves or hold ourselves back off of what is typical for a D3 school. We really, you know, are maybe it's good thing and a bad thing sometimes uh, because it often leads to you and I having a long to-do list. But um, we really try to remove that label and really say, you know, what what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be about? And then how do we go about and achieve those goals? Obviously, we're realistic in terms of our resources and, and, and some of those attributes. But um, we really try to approach things for what do we want to be known for and what makes superior superior? Um, and with that, you know, from a marketing and creative standpoint, um, we did pivot, uh, what, two years ago now um, and really tried to make it about our students um, because ultimately we're about the student athlete experience and it's, it's, a, it's their experience and we want to support them. Um, so with that, you know, our marketing strategies, our branding strategies have also pivoted to really highlight the student athlete, tell their story, um, don't tell our story. Uh, or don't try to cater to uh, outlets that may never, you know, care about us. Um, it's just if we make it about the student athletes, one, they're the best in brand ambassadors that we have. They're our best recruiters. When they go uh, to their hometowns, they talk to their friends that are competing at other institutions. Whatever it may be, you know, they're the, our best recruiters and brand ambassadors. So by highlighting them, we're growing our brand in different avenues in different ways. Uh, but that's true about the creative that we're doing. We have an outstanding creative staff, you know, Holden, especially, but Tyler from a graphical standpoint that are really doing high-level stuff that, you know, I often get asked, who's your marketing firm that you work with? And, God, how expensive is that? Uh, and I just chuckle because it's it's done by talented people here on our campus um, where other schools do outsource that or, you know, have a staff of 15 that try to do that. Um, we got a, just a creative staff that is dedicated about the student athlete experience and dedicated to highlighting our students, telling their stories, uh, and really making it about them. So I don't know if I answered your question, mm-hmm. but I would also you know turn it to you and and you know what makes our brand special, what what makes our student athlete special because you're a big part of that and uh, you've helped lead many of those strategies and many of those efforts. For me, the the big thing it it, it all does go back to that that experience and whether it's you know, the 
the graphics or content we're putting out or the Under Armour jacket that they're all given at the beginning of the year. And I think back to, I mean, going on 30 years now since I was a student athlete, but we didn't get anything. <laughs> you know, I think we got one yeah. one team jacket and a pair of sweatpants basically was what we got in four years. And it's come so far in that time, but especially in the last handful of years, it's really gone to a new level. And it all is about that student-athlete experience, which is great. But like you said, it also puts a little trepidation in there, too, mm-hmm. because where does it have to continue to go? Yeah. You know, because then the expectation is, is going to grow every single year. It was really gratifying this year when the freshmen came in, and they're all talking about what they saw on social media last year mm-hmm. and how they were looking forward to their media day because they were going to get to do fun stuff, goofy stuff. Oh, you have colored lights now. You have a fog machine now. You have giant letters that spell out superior now. Okay, that's all really cool for the sort of the second year we're doing this. What in the world are we supposed to do for the third year? Yeah. So there is a little bit of trepidation in there, but I think it all goes back to you want all of these student-athletes. And really, I mean, with that then creating a good atmosphere at games, which could pull in the general student population, mm-hmm. you want people to have a great experience and, and have – you know, ultimately superior become a destination. Yeah, absolutely. And and what you hit on there is it's highlighting our students. Our students are the force that that can do that. It isn't about me. It isn't about our coaches. It's it's about the students and their experience. And if we provide them with a really great experience, um, you know, that's where um, we we can thrive in, and, and that's where we can continue to grow in. And ultimately, that's what excels us competitively too. Um, to bring in top-level athletes, athletes committed to the student-athlete experience here and what we can provide them. Uh, I totally get the trepidation. I often think, too, about, well, shoot, what does next year look like? Because we continue to try and raise the bar, um, and and that's great, and and we want to continue to do that. But uh, we don't have a crystal ball of what, you know, the athletic experience needs to look like in five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. We hope we are, you know, we, we're strategizing and we're trying to put things in place to prepare for that uh, facilities being a big part of it. But, um, you know, it, it'll continue to allow us to push a little bit and, and be creative. Uh, but that also gets back to uh, the student athletes being a part of uh, the experience and, and having a voice in it. We need to listen to them. They're, they're our best conduit to tell us um, what they want and what they need and um, they'll continue to be a part of that process. So I'm very excited, very pleased with the experience we're able to provide our student-athletes now, but I know we'll find ways to continue to grow. We'll find ways to continue to enhance, to pivot, to do what we need to do to continue to support them moving forward. It's a good time to be a Yellow Jacket, and you know a lot of that is due to the leadership that you provided to our department. So I know you're up against it here. you got some things you got to tend to. So the Honorable Director of Athletics, Nick Bursick, thanks for coming by. Thanks, guys. We're going to take a timeout. We'll come back with more of Eye of the Swarm right after this. Orkers Island Inn is now hiring, and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. Final segment of our inaugural Eye of the Swarm podcast for the 22-23 year. And as we mentioned in the last segment, we kick it off with the director of athletics as we do every single year. Because it's, I, I, you know, I probably don't have to, but 
I think after a hiatus and yeah. with the irregularity of the last couple of years, I mean, especially last spring, with the weather and games getting moved around, it was really difficult for us to get any kind of a concrete schedule for things. And so with that long break, yeah. I thought it was, I just, it's good to get the athletic director in and kind of get brought up to speed on the happenings of the department as a whole before you start talking to athletes and coaches. Yeah, it's kind of an overall uh, summary of where things stand. It's kind of a state of the union, if you would say, I guess, a state of Yellow Jacket Athletics. Um, <clears throat> you know, not so much this time because there's more kind of, Periphery stuff happening. You know, the facilities plan is fantastic. New stadium coming in. and I don't think you can overstate how important this is for our university. Right, yeah. And no, for it's... this community. And, and Nick tried to tried to explain that. Right. And he did very well. But I still don't think you can overstate right. how yeah. big this is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you and I interact with the athletes on a regular basis. And so, um, you know, but more than that, other than the athletes being excited, obviously, the community aspect of it is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. You know, just being able to have another facility, another you know, opportunity for you know, community events to take place at another outdoor venue that is going to be you know, very high quality and give uh, you know, the rest of the community another outlet, especially the young athletes in the area, um, you know, for camps and other type things like that. Um, it's going to be huge. I mean, there's just no way of getting around it. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be you know, just – a, such a positive across the board, and, you know, and and it's going to, you know, athletes in other sports and other students on campus are just going to be able to say, look, that's our stadium. You know, we can walk to a game now and we can create, you know, some. If your windows are facing the right way in the residence halls, you can yeah. watch it from your window. <laughs> right. You can you can get your own like kind of tailgate thing going on. I mean, right. there's just a million different options now that are going to be opened up by having the stadium on there and uh, on campus. And it, it's. It's just going to be such a such a big thing. I'm super excited about it. I'm um, really excited, right? Because yeah. I, you know, I, I I mentioned it earlier. Nine different facilities we've played at, right? Yeah, and I, I can remember starting games in Duluth at 9 p.m. Yeah, because that's when you can get a facility. I mean, we and played in four different games in Duluth, right? I mean, you, yeah, you know, and if you if you look at it, Matt, the success that the two soccer programs have had is is pretty remarkable. Oh, yeah. When you consider that they've been nomads, right? Yeah, and that's that's the part that's most like exciting for me, is just knowing where the programs are at right now and where they can go now that they actually have a facility that they can actually show and say this is where we right. play our home games. Um, you know, on top of everything else, I mean, Joe and Allison both do a fantastic job recruiting and selling the program as it is, but to have that extra, you know, that extra little. Um, you know, ace in the hole now of having your own stadium finally on campus. It, it's just, to me, I'm going to be really excited to see how far they can take it uh, based on having that extra recruiting tool now at their disposal. That's a ways off, though, still. Yep. You know, it'll be a year from now when we're actually playing in that facility, hopefully without any construction delays and all of that stuff, I'm sure. And uh, in this, uh, in the interim here, in the next week, I'll record this on a Wednesday, and after today, We've got nine days before anybody's at home, so there's not going to be anybody playing in Superior no, over the course no. of the next week. It's a pretty busy road slate for the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, everybody's going to be pretty much on the road. There are a couple of home games in there, but not many. So we'll jump through this here with the week that's coming here for Yellow Jacket Athletics. Men's soccer uh, this Saturday, they are at North, Northland College excuse me, to open up UMAC Conference play. That's a 7 p.m. opening kick from Ponzio Stadium in Ashland. Beautiful facility, by the way. That mm-hmm. would be kind of a neat one Very to, nice. to model. 
you know, hopefully the stadium that we get after right. that because that's that's a state of the art facility that they, that uh, Northland has at their disposal. 7 p.m. though the opening kick from Ponzio on Saturday, September 17th for the men, and then they'll play another non-conference game on the road Tuesday the 20th at McAllister, and that's a 7:30 scheduled opening kick against the Scots. That'll be a tough game. The Scots are always a good team, so. Uh, a couple more uh, games here coming up this week for head coach Joe Mooney and the boys. Meanwhile, uh, women's soccer this week. Uh, tonight they're taking on Northland College at home, 7 p.m., 6.45, the pregame. Uh, this is, of course, going to be coming. <laughs> uh, um, you know, this is gonna be You're going to hear this after that game. Yes, so. this is going to be after this game. Maybe you can go back and listen. Hopefully to we're talking game. about a Yellow Jacket win. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I'll be on uh, with, the, with the broadcast on that one as they take on the Lumberjills, looking for that first win of the 2022 campaign, and then they'll be on the road on Saturday the 17th taking on UW-River Falls. That'll be a road game, 2 p.m., the opening kick down from River Falls. That's what's coming up this week in terms of women's soccer. Meanwhile, volleyball, uh, they're at home tonight taking on Hamlin, and this, again, on a Wednesday night. 7 p.m., the opening serve there, but they're busy this week. They've got four matches coming up, um, two of which are going to be taking place on Saturday the 17th across the bridge over at St. Scholastica. They'll take on the Saints for the second time this year at 3 p.m., and then they'll take on Carlton in another non-conference match at 5 p.m. And then to round out the week, Tuesday, September 23rd at Northland, to take on the Lumberjills at Kendrigan Gymnasium, 7 p.m., the opening serve there. So four matches for them coming up this week. Men's and women's golf, they're also busy, especially the men. Uh, hosting, playing as we speak. Yeah, they're playing as we speak at the UW-Superior Fall Classic down in Spooner, hosting the, the, um, the Fall Classic down at the Spooner Golf Club. 9.30 a.m. And the, uh, both the men and course. women are there. so Beautiful yep. course. Yep, exactly. So, uh, and the weather, I think, is maybe a little bit chilly down there. but I'm guessing it's probably a little warmer than it is here. Yeah. Which is usually How the much case. more, I don't know. But yeah. anyway. And then Sunday, Monday, they're at the Frank Rigglesworth Blue Gold Invitational in Eau Claire. The Eau Claire Golf and Country Club. Uh, no time on the start there, but that's a two-day event. The women, meanwhile, just hosting the UW Fall Classic, UW Superior. They need Fall a break Classic. after last week. Yeah, those three uh, uh, tournaments in one week kind of did it to them. I think they need a little break. So uh, they only had the one uh, the one uh, meet this week, but the men have three or two, but three days. So uh, yeah, so that's what's coming up for men's and women's golf. And meanwhile, last but not least, yet again, men's and women's cross country. This week, they uh, go down to one of the biggest uh, invitationals in the area, the St. Olaf Invitational, hosted by St. Olaf College at the St. Olaf Cross Country Trails in Northfield, Minnesota. That's on Saturday the 17th. Women's race will start at 10 a.m., and the men's race will follow at 11 a.m. Just so I'm clear, this is not the running of the cows. This is not. That's Carlton's. Okay. Yeah, Carlton has I couldn't remember if it was St. Olaf or Carlton that hosted the running of the cows. The running of the cows is uh, Carlton's. uh, That's an interesting story on that one. I have not uh, been fully briefed on why it's called the running of the cows. Um, There are quite a few farms out near where uh, Carlton actually hosts that meet, so I might have something to do with it. Um, But uh, uh, St. Olaf is my undergrad alma mater. I got my master's degree from UW Superior. Um, and those cross-country trails at St. Olaf are picturesque and perfect for yep. running. Uh, it's the reason why that's one of the bigger invitationals for D3 in the area. There'll be mostly WIAC and uh, MIAC schools there, but there'll also be a lot of other just you know random uh, schools from other conferences in the Midwest that'll be there as well. So, um, yeah, that's a big meet. Well, interesting to see how the Yellow Jackets fare down there because the competition will be pretty tough. The schedule actually works out really well for me personally too because Saturday is the North Shore Inline Marathon. And I I never enjoy skating that and then having to go work a game right, right after. 
So actually falls pretty well for me this year with no home games on that side. I just hope you don't get rained on based on the weather schedule we have. Yeah, there's a thirty percent chance of rain on the on Saturday morning, and because well, we're supposed to have potentially like torrential. We're supposed to get some here, big yeah. rain here tomorrow and I was just into Friday. So hopefully you know, by Saturday, hopefully it's cleared, cleared out. out and it's not yeah. so bad because a wet course like that is definitely going to slow you down. Right. Absolutely. It definitely slows you down. You you can't quite lengthen your stride as much as you right, would yeah. like to. So hopefully it. Uh, it clears out, and we have a dry course and a tailwind. And yeah, well, you know, best of maybe Garber can set a, a record time. <laughs> <laughs> I lamented on it last year because I did it with. I, I skate. I trained once. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And had a terrible diet over the summer, and wasn't uh, wasn't the best idea, I think, to hop on that bus and go to Two Harbors and decide to skate back to Duluth that day. And and somehow I posted my third best time. Right, so, I remember you talking. Yeah, about that. I did yeah. actually did really well. So this year we've got more uh, training guide. In, guide I, in I've this got year. close to a hundred miles on the wheels this summer now, and okay. I've ramped it up a little bit over the last month just to, okay, just to get accustomed to it. Uh, new skates this year. Well, thankfully it's pretty flat. Trimmed the trimmed the body yeah. down a little bit, so I'm carrying a few extra lbs around, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's a more enjoyable 26.2 right. miles than it was a year ago well and you know the course so that that helps i do too. and that's yeah. what makes me a little nervous about this rain because <laughs> this first few it, it's a lot of it is new pavement and right. new wet pavement is very slippery yeah and so looking forward to lemon drop hill that's always a good one yeah that's a great one too at the end <laughs> that's that's awesome you know, get to the top of that hill though yeah. and you exit down onto the interstate and it's like okay i think well, you gonna, don't even realize like how steep here. that thing is until you actually come upon it yeah like because when you're driving on it doesn't feel that it doesn't feel that but when you're when you look at it if yeah. you're driving up like london road and you have that look at it it's actually quite steep it it's, is you yeah. come around that corner and there it is, and you're just—it's a big hill. Yeah, you know, a, and, and to it Kevin goes on Pates for a while. or whoever nicknamed it Lemon Drop Hill, it's uh, Lemon Drop Hill. You know, it's, right. a, it's not hey Lemon Drop Hill. You know, right, so yeah. it's yeah. pretty long. It's not short. It's not a short hill. It's a long one. But hopefully, we get to the top, and you know, at that point, I know I'm going to make it. And veer to the left, head down the hill, go through the tunnels, climb one more, circle the deck, and get those skates off. It's all over. Yeah. Well, at least you don't have to do like the Lake Avenue. Hill, which is maybe the worst hill I've ever seen. <laughs> In Duluth, that, I mean, it's straight uphill for about yeah, six blocks. <laughs> I, I'll be taking the skates off and walking up that hill, then putting yeah, back just on. Just walking up that hill would be tough. So, yeah. so yeah, tune in next week for a full a full race report, and uh, hopefully, I come back with body still intact and. You know, I have faith in you. I I definitely have faith in me, but you know, the weather is a whole different ball oh, game. Oh yeah, that that'll be interesting. I I I'm kind of not sure how this uh, whole two plus inches of rain that they're predicting is going to go, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Buckle in the next up. Couple of yeah, exactly. <laughs> buckle Buc- up, Buttercup is the buckle yeah. up and bring your umbrella. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That'll do it for episode one of season four. Congratulations for getting through it, our production engineer. New head coach, Adam DeMuth. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you knew this. This is episode 50. Ooh. So, you know, sort of a benchmark. And Halfway uh, to a century. Well, that's yeah, halfway to the century mark. And if they haven't kicked us off the air, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah, hopefully. There so for Adam DeMuth in the control room and the Big Sound, Matt Johnson, I am John Garber. And thank you for listening to Eye of the Swarm. Mm-hmm.